Well, today we're going to talk about something that is very interesting to me, and that is prayer and spiritual warfare. Daniel has one more vision for us, and the content of that vision is found in chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 10 is really a prelude to that vision. Chapter 10 is very important, though, because it gives us a lot of the information that we have regarding angels and demons and prayer and spiritual warfare. Do me a favor. Forget everything that you have ever learned from Hollywood concerning angels and demons. These days, Hollywood is pretty much the public relations arm for demons. Okay, so forget everything you learned from Hollywood. We're going to read through uh, Daniel 10, verse 1, through Daniel 11, verse 1. Remember that chapter divisions and verse divisions were not part of the original manuscript, so sometimes a thought can go a little past where the chapter goes, and we'll see that today. All right. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground." And behold, a man touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and be of good courage. As, for, as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I came to you? 
But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Uh, I, I love how this angel says, all right, the prince of Persia messed with me and held me up for a while, and, but Michael came and helped me. And then he ends the thought by saying, uh, but I stood up and helped Michael a, couple, a few years ago. So he said, yeah, Michael had to come help me, but I had his back a couple of years ago. All right, so let's see who the characters are in this chapter. The first one is Daniel. Notice with me again the humble, prayerful, faithful old prophet. In my Bible, this Bible reading this week, I was in Ezekiel, and I happened to run across Daniel's name a couple of times, and boy, does it speak well of him. Uh, Daniel has much esteem in God's eyes. In Ezekiel 14, 13, and 14, God is prophesying against the nation of Israel, and he says, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithfully, faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. So he's saying, hey, if I'm bringing famine to a land and I'm punishing a land, even if Noah and Daniel and Job were there, I'd still punish the land. I just wouldn't punish them. <laughs> so Daniel, you see, is in elite company right there. Uh, also, I read later on, and Ezekiel was talking about these people who were prideful. And he said, you think you have the hearts of gods, but you don't, and I'm going to punish you. And then he goes on and he says, you think you have the wisdom of Daniel, but you don't, and I'm going to go on and punish you. So Daniel is... Uh, is highly esteemed to our Lord. In verse 2, we see that Daniel is mourning. Now, why, why is he mourning? Well, the temple in Israel began to be rebuilt, but almost immediately work on the temple was hampered, and it actually stopped because of opposition. Now, you may think, well, Daniel's a big, important guy. Why didn't he go, now that they had permission to go back to Israel, why didn't he go to Israel and get something done? Well, he was probably in his mid-80s by this point, but he absolutely was doing something to fix the problem. He was praying. Now, I don't think Daniel would have ever said, I'm old, all I can do is pray. I think his attitude would have been, I serve the almighty living God and I can pray. There's a big difference between those two attitudes. Daniel took prayer very seriously. This was not some casual pursuit for him. Verse 3 tells us that he was fasting, at least partially, and refraining from worldly comforts. Now, why is that? If you do something, like if you fast X many days or hours or meals, is God then obligated to answer your prayer the way you want him to? Of course not. We can never twist God's arm behind his back. We are totally incapable. But it does put us in a posture of humility, and that is key. So that fasting was an act of humility and grief. You know, it focuses you to fast, and it demonstrates urgency and commitment. So again, let me, let me recommend that discipline to you if you've never tried it. And if you have tried it and it's been a while, let me recommend it to you. 
Now we see Daniel and his, his awesome faithfulness that he always displays, but we also see the pre-incarnate Christ. Now by pre-incarnate, I mean before the incarnation, right? If we see him and see him in bodily form, you might say, well, that's, that's incarnation, right? Well, it's, we're talking about before the, the incarnation that led to his, uh, his life on earth. Now one reason that I think this is the pre-incarnate Christ rather than an angel is the similarities between this description and the one that John gives us in the book of Revelation. Now I want to show you these side by side, not so much to convince you, but just to bless you by beholding our God like we sang about. Daniel 10, 5 through 9, this is the description of Christ that Daniel gave. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. That may remind you of um, the vision that Paul saw of Christ. He alone saw the vision, but the other folks did not. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. In other words, he turned white as a sheet, and he was, he was weak in the knees. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, Revelation 1, 12 through 17, it's one thing for Daniel to be so overwhelmed by this vision of Christ. But think about who this next vision comes from. This is the Apostle John. This is the guy that hung around with Jesus every single day for three and a half years. This is the guy who reclined on him at supper. And here's what it says. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last." Daniel needed encouragement, and Christ himself appeared to that old prophet. The glory of our Savior overwhelmed Daniel, just as it did John. Of course, Jesus veiled his glory during his, his earthly time. He veiled it until the, the transfiguration account. And, uh, you know, one day believers will see Christ in his full glory. And I'm not in a hurry because there are things I want to do before then. <laughs> I want to accomplish some things for the kingdom. I, there are things I want to do here for the work of the Lord that I'll not be able to do in heaven. But what a glorious day that's going to be when we see Jesus unveiled. Now we'll see here that Christ is dressed like a priest. In Hebrews 7.25 uh, we're told that he lives, he always lives to make intercession for the saints. 
And so he's seen in, the, in those robes with the golden sash like a priest would wear. The glory radiating from his face was as bright as lightning. At Jesus' transfiguration, we read in Matthew 17, 2, that his face shone like the sun, his eyes like flaming torches. They see through the heart of every person. His arms and legs like burnished bronze speak of his limitless strength. And his voice, like the sound of a multitude, speaks of his authority. In Matthew 28, 18, he tells us that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. John 1, 3 tells us that the voice that called forth creation is the voice that these men are hearing. And in Hebrew 1, 3, it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Can you imagine hearing that voice? What a mighty God we serve. That's why we sing, Behold our God. We can't behold Him yet in all His majesty, but the more we see of Him, the bigger He becomes to us, then the more we're getting a glimpse of what we're going to see unfiltered someday. So we see Daniel, we see the pre-incarnate Christ in His unimaginable glory that overwhelms even the saints who are the very closest to him. And then we see angels and demons. Daniel 10, verse 10, it says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, John said that, that Jesus touched him and raised him up. But Daniel says, A hand touched me. So I think we have switched from the pre-incarnate Christ to this is now the angel that is going to give him the message. And we'll see that in a minute because he says, you know, I was held up by this other guy. And so this angel said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, is this Gabriel? It probably is, uh, but we're not sure because the, the text doesn't tell us specifically. But that's the angel that he has been dealing with. The angel's message is so encouraging to him. He was talking to Daniel and not us. But I think that there are some truths that we can take from this experience that we see with Daniel and apply to ourselves. If God loves you, and I, you may say, of course he loves me. You know, hadn't you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world? <laughs> well, yeah, hang on a second. If God loves you, if you seek to understand him, his word and his will, and if you humble yourself and pray... And not only seek to understand his word, but seek to understand it so that you can obey it. And you humble yourself and pray, God will hear and answer you. So does God love you? Well, I have read John 3.16, but I've also read things like Psalm 5 uh, that say, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So that kind of pours a little bit of water on uh, God. God loves the sinner and, and hates the sin, right? It says here in Psalm 5 that he, is, he hates the sinner. Um, that's scary, isn't it? Now it says you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty. 
So then back to the question, does God love you? Well, if you are in Christ, God loves you. He has adopted you and forgiven you, and he sees you as having the righteousness of Christ if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want your prayers answered, make sure that you are in Christ, that you are seeking to understand his word and his will so that you can obey it, and that you pray with humility and reverence. Those are the keys to having your prayers answered. Now, I I talk to folks sometimes, and they say, uh, if God would just answer my prayer, I would be so encouraged. Well, pray for his glory. Make sure that you are his, right? Make sure that you are adopted. We talked last week about how if somebody comes up to you on the battlefield and they want unconditional surrender, you're going to accept them. But if they want more equipment to fight you with, you're not going to accept them, right? So make sure that you are his and then come to him in humility and reverence. Let's go on to verse 13 and then 20 through 111 and see some more about what these angels and demons are up to. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And then skip down to verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And the prince of Greece is another um, demon who is going to come and, and uh, work against the kingdom of heaven. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is a demon who is strategically placed to work in and through the government and the people of Persia to hinder, in every way possible, the kingdom of God. Now, this guy, this prince of Persia, is powerful enough that he could mess with and even delay this angel, who is probably Gabriel. Now, this angel had to call in reinforcements, or really just one reinforcement, and that is Michael. Now, Michael, we're told in Jude 1.9, is an archangel, possibly the archangel, but an archangel anyway. You know, uh, in what we read a few minutes ago, he said, he's one of the princes of your people. So I don't know if there are more than several archangels or not. But he is given charge specifically of the people and the nation of Israel. And I didn't know that before studying this this week. I knew that he was an archangel. I knew that he was powerful. But now I've seen from this that he is specifically given charge of Israel. We see that implied in Daniel 10.21 that we just read because it's called uh, Michael, your prince. And your prince may mean you people or it may mean your people specifically the Jews. Uh, but then we're told explicitly a few verses later in Daniel 12, 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Can Satan and his demons threaten the power and rule of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We saw in our wonderful study of Job that Satan is like a roaring lion, but he's on a leash. And he can only go so far. 
He would say, hey, can I do this? And God would say, okay, you can do this, but not this. There wasn't any argument. There wasn't any rebellion. He had to be fenced in by exactly what God told him to do. But remember that we've been saying that often God accomplishes his ends through different means. Like we talked about witnessing. We said, hey, God could just give understanding of the gospel to everyone who ever picked up a Bible. Or he could have angels come and minister to people. He could, he could spread the gospel however he wants to. How he chooses to is through us, through the church, right? And so he uses different things to accomplish whatever he wants to do, and he gives himself glory through these means. Angels faithfully serve God and minister to the saints on his behalf. Their service and their valor bring glory to God. Now, Michael is quite the servant. <laughs> Look with me in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. There is a spiritual war going on around us that we are completely unaware of on a daily basis. Daniel's prayer triggered a spiritual confrontation. Now, we don't need to become preoccupied with spiritual warfare, but we do need to become preoccupied with understanding the Word of God and with prayer. We have no idea of all the things that will result from our prayers. Now, I would guess that there is a demonic prince of Washington, D.C. I don't need to focus on him. I don't need to know about him. I don't need to know his name. What I do need to do is pray fervently for our government. Now, there will be spiritual battles as we launch our new campus. Um, I won't be pretending to see unseen things and praying any demons out of the neighborhood. Uh, but I will be praying that we can reach the people of the highlands and beyond. What will the unseen spiritual battle look like? I don't know. I kind of wish I did. It'd be fascinating. But I don't know, and you don't know. But we know that there will one day, um, we'll understand a lot of things that we don't understand now about what has been going on. We should be fasting, humbling ourselves, and praying. You know, angels do battle for the sake of the saints and for the glory of God. What else do they do? Well, we know that they worship God, right? We see them worshiping before the throne day and night. But we also see another job here in Daniel 10, and that is that they minister to the people of God in a couple of ways. One is they bring uh, refreshing and strengthening, and another is that they bring spiritual insight. In 10, through, uh, in 10 verses 14 through 19 of Daniel, it says, and he came, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So we see the angel is giving spiritual discernment and spiritual understanding to Daniel. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, 
that doesn't mean uh, God. It means, it's like saying sir. So he's being respectful to the angel, but he's still addressing the angel. He says, oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. This was so overwhelming, especially the vision of Christ. And Daniel goes on to say, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. So he gave him spiritual understanding and then he strengthened him. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and be of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and I said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. The angel helped Daniel gain spiritual understanding and he helped strengthen him for the battles to come. Now, how much, of the, is the, how much of the strengthening and the spiritual discernment is the purview of the Holy Spirit? And how much is the purview of angels? I have no idea. But I will take spiritual discernment and strengthening from any source that God chooses to give it to me from, right? I know I need it, and I pray for it. And I know that, you, that there are several of you that have told me that you pray for me daily, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Please never stop. I want us to do together, I want us to do big eternal things to advance the kingdom of God. We cannot do that without spiritual understanding and spiritual strengthening for the spiritual battles that are to come. Now there are battles to come. There are already spiritual battles as a matter of fact. Now let me talk to you for a second. A church member recently received a call wanting to know why Steve Jackson was selling the church. I know there are reasons for people to be skeptical of pastors. I know that pastors come and they go, and some pastors are self-serving. I know that very well. I've been around them. As a matter of fact, in one case, I worked for him. <laughs> so I understand. But the default setting that the pastor is going to do something to you if you don't watch out is so sad and so perverse. You want to know what our current spiritual battle is going to be? Well, one thing is going to be gossip. Uh, uninformed people are going to make up stuff and spread it everywhere. Don't be part of that. If you want to gossip, gossip the truth. Because we need encouragement. We need um, you know, enthusiasm to build as we go toward uh, putting that campus down there. We're going to try to reach a generation that this church really completely failed to reach or at least completely failed to hang on to. And that's going to be hard to do. So if you or anyone around you wants to know more about what's going on with that South Campus, ask me. Um, ask Jimmy or Pat or Katie or Danny. Those five will have the most up-to-date stuff. Uh, but you can also ask anybody on the ministry advisory team or anyone who voted to go forward with it. And that vote, by the way, was unanimous. Now, there was one person. Now, we told you over and over and over, if you want your vote counted, you have to sign it. There was one vote that was not signed that said no. But we told them that wouldn't count. So unanimously, we said we were going forward with this thing. Now, let me tell you, uh, there are... To the extent that the Lord prospers us, the enemy will oppose us. All right, we got spiritual battle to come, okay? So listen to that. I'm going to say that one more time. 
To the extent that the Lord prospers us, the enemy will oppose us. Be ready for it. See it as good news when it comes. Let me give you three reasons that I will never knowingly hurt the church. One, I love you. Two, I love God. And three, I fear God. (laughs) I was reading this just uh, this morning, and let me show it. I had to come in early and put it in my notes. This is from Ezekiel, like I'm reading through in my morning, morning reading. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and you have lost, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the words of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. If that doesn't scare you, it scares me. So listen, guys, the way we're set up, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but this is about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare... Satan is going to try to divide us. He's going to try to divide our older folks from our younger folks. He's going to try to divide our leadership from our laity. He's going to try to divide us through lies, through gossip, and through suspicion. And we just can't let him. We can't let him do that. So let me tell you, um, the ministry advisory team is there to keep a, keep a watch on the pastor and make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. But so much more important than that, God is there to make sure, okay? So I, I'm, I'm happy to answer to the ministry advisory team, but let me tell you, God's a lot more scary. So when you hear things about what the preacher may be trying to do or get away with, man, no, you've got somebody watching the preacher that is going to take care of him, okay? So let me tell you, when folks call you and say, why is the preacher selling the, the building? You say, well, not only is the preacher not selling the building, we're not selling the building. And you can come and join our church here at West Laurel on uh, this street and this corner. Now, as we progress down there, we're going to have another campus. I want you to understand, we're not trying to get you out of here. We're not trying to get rid of the building. Nobody has that agenda. We're trying to reach people that aren't reached now. And... Uh, There's going to be a lot of gossip about that, a lot of misunderstanding. And maybe, actually, to be honest, some people trying to cause trouble. Don't let them. Just tell them the truth. You know, I wonder if there's an angel assigned to Jones County churches. There may be. There may be an angel 
over just the Laurel City churches. There may be one over our church. I don't know how the thing, the thing is broken down. But if there is an angel that immediately supervises our church, I bet he wonders why we don't pray more uh, so that we can accomplish more. You know, let's pray more so that we can accomplish more. Let's keep in mind that 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Are there strongholds in Laurel? There are. We need to pray against them. Are there strongholds down there where we're going to try to build a new campus and reach new people? Yes, let's pray that the Lord will break those down. Now, I may not sound very Baptist when I talk about spiritual warfare, but we all need to be more aware of the warfare that goes on around us. More aware than most of us are. Now, I'm not going to go around ordering demons off the property. I don't have anything to say to demons at all. But let's have a lot to say to the commander and chief of the heavenly host. Let's pray to him and let's have a lot of things to say to him. Because guys, if you believe that God is as big as the Bible would lead you to believe he is, then he can accomplish more than you can ever manage to ask him. So let's pray for great things. And for those of you who pray for me, thank you. Keep doing it. (laughs) I pray for you. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray that as we build a campus down there, we'll be able to reach the people and the hearts and the souls of the folks that live down there. But let's pray that we'll be able to reach people here too. It's not one or the other. We can do both at the same time if the Lord chooses to bless us. Remember, the more the Lord blesses us, the more the enemy is going to oppose us. Let's be ready for that and let's be in constant, humble prayer. Now guys, the way to make sure that God loves you is to be in Christ. Now the way we are in Christ is we hear the gospel, we understand the gospel, but then we apply the gospel. You know, I talk to folks that say, when I was 12... I came down and was baptized and I was saved. So now I'm good. Now they may have been out of the church for 30 or 40 years. They may be living just like the world. They may have no thought of God other than when something breaks, they'll say, hey God, can I have some money or can you fix my car? Something like that. Now, there are a couple of positions you can be in regarding a chair. Let's say this chair is is the Lord Jesus, right? Now I can be here And I can be looking at that chair and I can say, I can recite a prayer. I can go down and talk to a pastor and the pastor can lead me in a prayer and I can say the prayer to the chair, right? I'm still not sitting in that chair. (laughs) What saving faith is, is taking yourself and placing yourself on the mercy of Christ. He came here to live a life you couldn't live and he died a death that you deserved and he didn't deserve in order to switch places with you. He can take your sin and he can give you his righteousness. Now, does it matter when I sat down in that chair? No, it matters whether I'm sitting in the chair, right? Does it matter what I said when I placed my faith in Christ? No, it doesn't matter. It just matters, am I here beside the chair hanging out with it? Or am I resting on the chair? So let me tell you, I've talked to folks in church all the time that say, hey, I was saved back in the day. 
And I say, well, are you trusting Christ now? Well, no, I'm not in church right now. Okay, that's not what I asked you. Are you trusting Christ for your salvation? Well, you know, I try to do good things. I try to obey the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's not what I'm asking you. Are you now trusting in Christ for your salvation? Do you see how we can substitute other things? We can think, oh, he's asking me if, if I keep the law. He's asking me if I had an occasion once where I went down and talked to a pastor. He's asking me if I have a relationship with the church. He's asking me if I tithe. He's asking me if I work, if, if my life looks a little better than my neighbor's. None of that is what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, are you right now living in faith, depending on Christ to save your soul? If you are, then you are in Christ. And God will answer your prayers if you will come to him seeking his will, seeking to do his will, not only to know his will, but to do it, and coming to him with humility. So let me tell you, we're going to sing in just a moment. And if you say, hey, I, I'm not as close as I used to be. I don't feel as secure as I used to. I think I was, I think I was, I think I'm in Christ, but I'm not sure. Come talk to me. If you want to get help in understanding the gospel in your current situation right now, if you want to come for church membership, you come. If you want me to pray with you, I'd be delighted to pray with you. Um, guys, we need to, uh, we need to ask big things of God and we need to ask them humbly and we need to ask them in faith. And uh, I want you to pray with me that the Lord will grow this church. Now, when we get down south, we've got a lot of stuff to do. We've got a lot of people to reach. We've got a lot of um, people to contact. We've got a lot of things to come up with to get them to know us, to get them to see our place. We're going to be working hard. But all that is going to be for naught unless the Lord brings people in, gives them the gospel, and changes their heart, right? So he's just going to be doing work that we can't do. <laughs> we're going to be doing work that we can do, and we're going to be working furiously at it. But also, folks, he's going to be doing things that we can't manage, and we've got to pray that he will. And for us, folks, instead of going to your neighbor and saying, man, I wonder if you'd come over to West Laurel with me. We don't have very many people, and and sometimes the preacher's long-winded and, you know, don't do that. Go to your neighbor and say, I am excited to go to worship. Would you go with me? We are going to have a good time. We're going to sing praise to the Lord and we're going to study the word of God. They might come with you then. So let's pray and let's work to build up this church. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. And, uh, and Father, I was convicted as I read this week that I just don't ask enough of you. Uh, Lord, I, I don't deserve anything, but I'm in Christ. And Lord, you say that the prayers of a righteous man will avail much. Father, I don't have my own righteousness, but because of your grace, I have the righteousness of Christ. And so I come to you, Father, and I ask you to do big things. Lord, I ask you to prosper this church. I ask you to help us grow. I ask you to help us build down south. Uh, I, I ask you to help us reach the people in the highlands and in those neighborhoods around there. And then, Lord, I want to ask for bigger things. I want you to help us reach more and more and more people with the gospel. 
Lord, when the word says that you're able to do more than we can think or imagine, I guess I can't ever think and imagine enough or that verse wouldn't be true. But help me think and imagine more and more and more so that we can be a faithful bunch of people who pray and ask you to do big work. Lord, we see your servant Daniel. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem to try to fix things. He goes to you to try to fix things. Father, help us realize that that it's not that we can't do anything but pray. It's that we can pray to you who is powerful and can answer our prayers. Lord, you can give us spiritual insight. You can give us strengthening. And Father, there's a spiritual battle going on around us. If you plan to prosper us, to the extent that you prosper us, there's going to be opposition. Help us not be foolish enough to drive into that battle with nothing uh, protecting us, Lord. Help us pray. Help us understand that, Lord, you, through your spirit and through your servants, the angels, will work on behalf of spreading the kingdom. And, Lord, if we're working on behalf of spreading the kingdom and praying for that purpose, we'll be working side by side. Father, thank you for the little glimpse that we see into the spiritual realm in this chapter. I pray that it will transform how we think. I pray that it will transform how we pray. Lord, again, I don't want to get fixated on any any enemies. I just want to pray to the one who is sovereign over every enemy. Father, make us a people of faithful prayer. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.